Well, it is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we turn our attention to Luke chapter 1. So if you'll go with me to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1. Hear these words this morning. We've already read the Magnificat, as it's called, which is this magnificent uh, prayer song of praise by Mary. Before that is the passage that I want to look at with you this morning. Notice these words here as found in the gospel according to Luke. Chapter 1, we're going to drop down to verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your holy word. And thank you that we, by the power of your Holy Spirit, can apply your word today through preaching to our lives. Would you help us do that today, Lord? In your name we pray. Amen. You know, the mystery of the incarnation is one of the pillars of our faith. Without the incarnation, God can't take on a body and die. It's impossible. And so the cross, although the center of our faith, as we would say, is made impossible without this event that we're reading this morning. It's the event that we say and have already said in the Apostles' Creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This is the incarnation, incarnate, right? So in flesh, like a carnivorous, you know, where we get our word for that. Um, in flesh, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, which is our series during Advent is O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. Now, God has always been with us, and yet now God is with us in a different way. And when you read the scriptures, this is exactly how God works. God never changes, but is always doing something new. You notice this? He doesn't part the Red Sea three times. It's a one-time event. But he's all about delivering people. And he delivers them in all sorts of kinds of ways. And here, God with us now becomes Emmanuel the Son of God who takes on flesh in the Virgin Mary for our redemption and for our salvation. This is a mystery, friend. But it's not a mystery that we should look at and walk away from. 
Instead, it is a mystery that should give, that we should give God praise. We too, like Mary, we too, like Elizabeth, we too, like John the Baptist here, should give God glory. We should, in so many words, magnify the name of Jesus because of his mysterious way to save the world. You know, Jesus, being fully God and fully man, comes from a family. Just like you and me. We all come from families. And typically during the holiday season that really kind of begins for us, what, mid-November, most of us? with preparations for Thanksgiving, and then we move straight into Advent, and then straight into the Christmas season and into the new year. We often, I imagine, will have family members in our homes, yes? And probably some people that we haven't seen in a while, maybe yearly we see them, or maybe we're going to travel. And Jesus also, he comes from a large family. Now, remember, and let me make this distinction, The Son of God is eternally begotten of the Father. Notice that language. Remember one of the most famous verses, John 3, 16. The eternally begotten Son. Now, if he's eternally begotten from the Father, that means there never was a time when he wasn't begotten. Everybody with me? It's an eternal begottenness. All right? That means there never was a point where he wasn't the Son. He has always been the Son and always will be the Son. He is eternal. Now, there was a time when the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, was born of Mary. In fact, before that, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And if we want to be real clear, gestated in Mary. She became the tabernacle of God. Now, we see this tabern- that God tabernacles with us from the b- very beginning, doesn't he? He comes walking in the garden, and even after the sin of mankind, that is, of Adam and of Eve, God makes a promise, doesn't he? You might remember what that promise was. He said, from your seed there will come salvation, and that salvation will crush the head of the serpent, and he will bruise his heel. Now, that seed, that salvation is now coming. This is it. This is what Advent means, isn't it? Coming, right? Advent means to come. It is, remember, Christ's first Advent. And we have been looking at, interestingly, Advent props us up with two Sundays that look forward to the second Advent, interestingly enough, in preparation for the first. And now we zoom in, as it were, in the Lucan story here, which gives us the infancy narratives of our salvation. Nobody else does this, by the way. And this is part of the family. And and this, this means, friends, that this is our family story. So just as we all have stories that will be rotating around, funny ones and serious ones and sad ones, this holiday season, this Christmas, so too, this becomes our story. This is our family that we're reading about this morning. And so I want to zoom in on three characters that magnify Jesus Christ in this pericope. 
The first is Luke himself, uh, who has prepared this gospel for us, he tells us, for excellent Theophilus. You remember this at the beginning of his book, and he tells us, he says, look, I know there are other accounts of the gospels. And how many are there that we have? There's four total, right? Luke is one of them. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are actually called similar gospels or synoptic gospels. And then you have the Gospel of John, which also tells the good news story of the incarnation, the life and then death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. But Luke's account is different. Luke is a physician. In fact, Paul says in Colossians, he is a beloved physician of mine. And, Luke, uh, and Paul tells us at the end of his life, only Luke is with me at the end. Luke was a convert to the way of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the neat thing. Luke is the only author in the Bible that we're aware of that was a Gentile and not a Jew. Everybody else is of the Jewish family that we're aware of except for Luke, the physician, the doctor. And, in fact, he doesn't just write a gospel like Matthew, Mark, And John, he has a follow-up book, doesn't he? Do you remember what this book is called? It's the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, or as some scholars have noted, Acts of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles, right? So Luke's account continues well beyond the other gospel writers. But I want to note today that Luke's account goes well before the other gospels as well. Mark doesn't begin like this. Matthew begins with a genealogy backing all the way up to Abraham. Now, Luke gives us insight into Jesus not only at the stage of conception, not only at the stage of gestation and of birth on that holy night, but also at 12 years old as a boy. So so Luke gives us insights about our Lord, about our Savior, that no one else gives to us. Because he actually went and talked to Mary. He talked to the disciples. He was a disciple of St. Paul himself who had met the risen Lord, we are told also, after his resurrection. And Paul, if you notice in in your reading of Acts, by the way, the the book will say, uh, Luke, Luke will say it this way, they went on to this place and they went and then at some point he starts saying we went on to this place and we went on to what does he do? he joined them <laughs> that's what happened at some point he was on those missionary journeys he saw the first converts he was able to verify eyewitness accounts of our lord and savior jesus christ and these stories a story of a of a child leaping in the womb could only be told by those who experienced it. What we have here, friends, I'm telling you, is something very precious as our family, as we look back on what God has done for us, on what the eternally begotten of the Father has done by being conceived by the Holy Spirit in a young, obedient, Jewish girl who was humble enough to say, yes, Lord, may it be so. 
So Luke helps us to magnify Christ by these stories. And in fact, we're going to be reading most of Luke here at our Christmas Eve service. And we read quite a bit of Luke even last week as we're retelling and telling the greatest story that has ever been told. One that we can all be connected in and with and through because this is our family. These are our relatives, if you will, because Christ is the firstborn among many. And so this apostolic witness of Luke helps us to magnify and to glorify God's name. Now, now notice the way Luke tells this story real quick. And, and look, I could spend, let me just tell you, all day long on this part. part so just give me some boring looks and I'll keep moving. But think about this with me real quick. You're trying to tell the story of our Savior's birth. How would you do that? Well, the way Luke does it is with two prophets in utero. Two pregnant ladies that meet together. The babies are interacting and so are the women. What kind of story is this? It's a story that speaks to life. It's a story that speaks to what is sacred. It's a story that speaks to the mystery of the God that we serve. Notice, Mary, knowing that she has become pregnant... And what is conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit, as she is a virgin, goes to visit Elizabeth, who is married to Zechariah. Which, by the way, Zechariah's name means God remembers. So any Jew that's visiting this story is going to see that they entered the house of God remembers. And greeted Elizabeth. And upon this greeting, all of a sudden, the baby that is in Elizabeth leaps and interacts with who just came into the room. Now, who just came into the room? None other than Mary. Who is Mary carrying? Jesus. Notice that Elizabeth says, why would you visit me? The mother of my Lord. Did you catch that? She's already a mother with a baby in utero. The baby is here in the sacred place of the womb. Now, you know, all the religions of the world <laughs> inevitably have, at the beginning of their creation stories, typically, typically, I won't go into the ones that don't, they're, they're not kid-friendly at all, a womb, a woman. Because life comes from a womb. And all that Satan, all that the enemy, all that the evil one can do is twist or spoil what God has made good. Does that make sense? That's, that's why you get all these religions that are very close to the truth. But they're off. Something's not right. Something is twisted. Something is spoiled. Something is wrong. Something is disordered. And all the religions are pointing to this reality. Because this is the realest thing that's ever happened. If we want to think of it in that way. This is the thing that makes all other things possible. Now, to back up a bit and to move on shifting gears from, from uh, Luke to now Elizabeth, let's just speak to this part. Elizabeth is the seventh in a train of barren wombs. 
So speaking of wombs, and that's just where a baby grows, by the way, for those uh, a young audience that we have or maybe online. Um, this is where God has made available in a woman a place for new life to grow. In fact, in fact, everybody under the sound of my voice grew in a womb. And it's an amazing process, very scientifically crazy too, by the way, and medically scary to me a little bit of the process. One that I imagine, one that I imagine, Luke knew well. And by the way, Luke probably attached himself to Paul because Paul actually had a lot of illnesses. He wasn't a well man, as far as we know. In fact, he, he probably used, uh, that may have been their, their correspondence initially. But either way, here is Elizabeth, and now she is the seventh one that we get in the Bible. The only one in the New Testament that is barren. That is to say, doesn't have any children. And she's old, and her husband is old. But you remember what happens, right? God visits them through an angel and says, look, you're going to have a baby. This baby is John the Baptist, which will break 430 years of silence. Remember, we talked about this, right? There's silence from the time of Malachi, the last prophet to speak and to order Israel. In the midst of disorder, there's going to be 430. That's a long time, friends. And now this baby, that's not even out of the womb yet, is recognizing who is in the room and leaps. And then the spirit fills Elizabeth and she begins to proclaim based upon this baby's proclamation. So really, if we want to think about it, the first person to witness to Christ's divinity clearly in the Bible is a fetus. What kind of story is this? It's a mysterious story. It's one that gives life. It's one that is sacred and holy. Now, I would love to list out all the barren women and tell you all my thoughts there. I'm going to move on because I actually did that at one of our events just ever so briefly. So I don't like to repeat myself. But if you're interested in who those six ladies are in the Old Testament, then certainly come and see me afterward. The point is this, though. This is a dead tomb. Instead of a place of life, it is of death. Instead of a place of fruitfulness, it is a desert. But not when God gets a hold of it. No, in each and every one of those stories, I don't, against patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all had issues. Their wives, dead, barren, brought to life. And our, we, listen, we connect our family to where those dead wombs used to be. What is God in the business of doing? Raising the dead, bringing life where there is no life, where there is a desert water, where there is fruitlessness, fruit. This is, what he's, this is what he's always about. Where in your life, friend, are you barren? Where can Christ bring his life and start something new in you? You say, Pastor, my... Um, my family's dysfunctional. You don't get it. Jesus' family was dysfunctional. Do you know who's in his family? There are Gentiles in his family. You remember this? Ruth. Do you remember this? There are very uh, unscrupulous people in Jesus' family. 
Think in terms of David and his life. Think in terms of Bathsheba, whose son is Solomon. Well, Jesus had a dysfunctional family, but that doesn't mean, notice, that we get to sit in our dysfunction. It doesn't mean that we, oh, right, so he had to, so that's what God wants is dysfunction. No, 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 no. He brings order and life and newness and fruit and what is holy because God himself is holy, which brings me to this point, and that is God sanctifies the womb. It's not something dirty, it's not something nasty, and it is not something dead. He himself dwells there in Mary as a baby, recognized already by John the Baptist, fetus to fetus, if you want to use the medical terminology. And not only that, Elizabeth recognizes what in the world is going on here, and she actually begins to proclaim, by, by the way, the power of the Holy Spirit. This knowledge wouldn't have come to her on her own, not with a sonogram, not in any other way, because Jesus is a baby like any other. He's got an umbilical cord. He is fed by his mother in her womb. He is a fully, he is fully mankind. How about that? He is fully mankind and yet fully God. Never ceasing to be God. And now has wed himself to us. You were conceived. Jesus was conceived. You were gestated. He was gestated in a womb. He was born. You were born. He lived. We are living. He died. We will die. He lives a fully human life. And yet, without sin. Sanctifying everything and every possible step of mankind. Not just as our exemplar, but more so as the one who sanctifies and empowers right living. He can change a heart. He can bring back the dead. He can order where there's disorder. And so Elizabeth is a part of the story of salvation of bringing an end to the silence of 430 years through this baby, John the Baptist, who will proclaim Christ, who will proclaim the Lamb of God, who will proclaim the bridegroom. Lastly, with Elizabeth, she proclaims, you're the mother of my Lord, which is a divine sort of proclamation, which brings us to the third character in the story who's a part of our family that magnifies God. Not only Luke, not only Elizabeth, but Mary. Now it's Mary's turn. And we've already read the Magnificat, but I'm going to read it again. It's that important. Notice these words as she proclaims and magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. We have. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to our family, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is a regular girl who humbly obeys when the Lord comes to her through the, Gabriel, uh, the angel Gabriel and says, what will be conceived in you will be from the Holy Spirit. May it be so. And may we all say to God when he comes to us and propositions our life, may it be so, Lord Jesus. Who has God called you to? What has God called you to be and do in this world? Have you said yes? It's never too late. Today is the day of salvation. Right this moment, we can turn our lives to him and receive from him what the Holy Spirit wants to birth in us. What he wants to conceive in us is Christ, his kingdom. She's a regular girl, and yet she is Theotokos, which is to say the mother of God. Now we use that term carefully, but we use it boldly. Because if Mary isn't the mother of God, then who was born from her isn't our Savior. Because our Savior is God. He must be. He cannot be just man. Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is a man. But he's not just a man. He is God-man. Actually, theanthropos is the, is the way we talk about the God-man union. What is called the hypostatic union. The, the nature of God is joined to the nature of humanity. And they are joined inextricably without confusion for all of eternity. This is what the writer of Hebrews was saying in, in our Hebrews reading. He does away with the first in order to establish by the second. And by that will have we been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It's blasphemous to offer any other sacrifice for sin. Blasphemous. Why? Because his precious body, the only God-man... Once and for all. Notice, once and for how many? Some? A few? All. Once and for all. All are affected by the light that he brings because he is the true light. He is not just coming teaching a truth. He himself is the truth. Jesus, unlike any other founder of a world religion, doesn't just teach a way. He himself is the way. 
He is truth, and He is the life of all of us, whether we recognize it or not. Which is why at the end of all things, the resurrection of the dead will happen for all people, but some to everlasting damnation, and for others, everlasting peace with God. But His work is once, and it is for all. And that's good news. Because it is in the body of Jesus that we are saved. It is not in the idea of Jesus that saves us. It is in the man, Jesus. His actual body is what saves us. That's what the, if you want me to lay that out sometime in Hebrews, which we already just went through, we should all know it like the back of our hand. It is his body. A body you have prepared for me. It was always meant to be this way. In other words, it's not the thought of God that saves us. It's not the teachings of God that saves us. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And this person here in our story, in this infancy narrative, is still in his mother's womb, growing And everybody's already magnifying what is happening and clearly understanding by the power of the Spirit what is going on. I don't actually believe that Mary's confused at all. Some people think she's projecting here, that she's wondering, Mary, did you know? I think she knew. She knows. She knows who she carries because she knows who it is she accepted when she said, let it be so. Well, as I've already said, she really is the new Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was to be the place where God met with his people. Do you remember? And, and they had it in the Holy of Holies, right? So you had, the, you had the temple or the tabernacle, which was holy itself. Then you had the holy place. And then you had the Holy of Holies. And that was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And this is where God's presence chose to dwell. Now, he stopped dwelling there. It's very clear because they lost the Ark of the Covenant. Because God himself is the one who destroyed the temple. He destroyed his own temple because they had made it idolatrous. And we always have this tendency, don't we? We always are tending to make an idol rather than worship the living Christ. Because we can control an idol. We can control ideas. We can control doctrines. We can control beliefs. But you cannot control the living God. And you will not. He is meant to be submitted to. And some of us are more fearful... ...of a string of letters... ...and of ideologies and politics... ...and peer pressure from our own culture... ...than we are L-O-R-D... Yahweh, the Almighty. If there's one I fear, it's Him. If it's one we must submit to, it's Him. And now He shows up in the flesh as a baby. He makes it easy for us, doesn't He? Everybody likes a baby. At least you should. 
Some things go without mentioning until our culture makes us have to mention them. Well, then she expresses, as we said, the Magnificat, right? Which is just magnify. Think with me about how we magnify something. First thing, you think of magnifying glass, right? You have to you have to get it in focus. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you just look through it, if I'm trying to look at you out here with a magnifying glass, that's not going to work, is it? No, because you have to get it in focus by what? Getting close. Right? Everybody with me? That's how you do a magnifying glass. How can we magnify Christ like our family? How is it? Well, I think we got to focus. There's so many things calling for our attention in life. Trust me. It can, it can swallow you. Focus on our greatest treasure, the greatest gift, who is our Lord, Jesus Christ. And then get close. Get close with God. How is this possible? It's the same way that we've already talked about. Get in the scriptures. Luke gives us these scriptures, doesn't he? Let's get close to these stories. Let's allow the Holy Spirit that inspired Luke and his eyewitness accounts to once again inspire us for the things of God. And then, how about this? What if, what if, what if this was a way we could also magnify God? Is through prophecy. Just as Elizabeth becomes a prophet... One might say prophetess. So too, we are all called to speak the good news of Jesus, aren't we? And we've already done it this morning. We've spoken this to one another here. Let's take this out now and speak words of life to our neighbors, our co-workers. Not from our pettiness... Not from a high and haughty place, but one of humility, just as Elizabeth, just as Mary, are humble people, and yet encounter a message that is for the world. And it must be told, friends. Don't be timid about telling this message. Tell it in humility. Tell it in love. It's the only way to tell it. It is a Message of humility and love. You've, I hope you've already seen that. But let's tell it boldly. Let's tell it expecting, get this, expecting that God, the same God that conceived in Mary, the same God who has made us born again of the Spirit, the same God who spoke through the prophets could also speak through us to bring words of transformation to a dying world, to our children. Maybe it's the people you're closest to that you need to speak the clearest words to. You already have leverage there. You're already living beside them and among them. Let's speak words of life this Christmas season. Let's speak prophetic words of magnifying Christ's name in our life. Is there anything too big for God? 
Let's allow our little problems and what seems like daunting, massive problems, principalities and powers of the air, let's magnify Christ. In other words, let's make him bigger than anything else in our life. And then, finally, let's sing. That's what the Magnificat is. It's a song. Let's sing because we have something to sing about. That's why we sing as Christians. I find it interesting that, like in studying religion, a lot of, a lot of religious groups don't sing except to recite things. They don't sing out of praise or thanks or, or, or glorifying, well, you know, which God are you going to choose, right? Most of them are local anyway, so it's not even going to get outside of that. Listen, we serve the universal God. He's the only one. There's no other game in town. He's it. And we need to reconcile our lives to his. We need to order our lives to him. We need to submit our lives just as Mary did, just as Elizabeth did here. These two ladies are saints in our story. And we should look at their life and say, Lord, be it unto me, thy servant. Have your way in me. And when we do, there'll be joy, there'll be love, there'll be all the gifts of the Spirit. Where there was a tomb, there'll be life. Where there was a desert, there'll be streams of water, life-giving water. And they'll issue from normal people, regular folk like us. May it be so, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.